Welcome to Demond Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. Thank you for the reviews. Somehow it affects the algorithms and it shows more people that were around. So if you haven't yet, please subscribe and review. It helps more people join the conversation. And my guest today discovered her love of reading as a teenager, and her taste led her to write about psychotic telekinetic mothers, murderous doppelgangers, and hunky were-cheetah coalitions. Her story, Message in a Vessel, is included in the upcoming anthology, Slay, Stories of the Vampire Noir. Please welcome V.G. Harrison. Thank you. Welcome, and how you doing? I'm feeling good. I'm not at work, so I'm happy at least about that. That's a good thing. <laughs> For the win! I mm-hmm. found out that you really like amusement park, so tell me about that. Yes, that will always be the case forever and ever. I mean, <laughs> I was one of these people who did not go to Disney until I got my very first job working for Oracle, and I could actually afford it. And then it, that was like 20-something. So my mom, from that point on, that point onward, my mom and I did an annual mother-daughter Disney trip. Then I had my daughter, and then we had to wait because then she couldn't get on the rides, and I was like, what's the point in going? And now it's like, yes, she's of age, let's do it, do it, baby. But, of course, now it's like every other year. So this year, just to calm down, just to avoid having to throw another birthday party for her, I said, we're going to Universal for your birthday. Yay! Okay, baby, I'm glad we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd rather spend the money to go to Universal Studios than to throw a little $300 party for 10 of her friends. Oh, no, no, no. You talk about a horror story. There you go. Are you ready to answer the six questions? Let's do it. <laughs> Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? I've always kind of read, but never never devoured really any books. So in my teenage years, I kind of started reading and stuff a little bit here and there. But it wasn't until I was in Boston and I was traveling back and forth on the MBTA. And people don't talk to you. They don't care that you're there. They just want to go home. And not that I'm much of a talker anyway. But they just seem unfriendly. <laughs> and I'm not saying that about all Boston, but that's how my trip seems to be. So I picked up my reading habit all over again. I was reading Stephen King, John Saul, Laurel K. Hamilton. By the time I finished reading everything with those guys, I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start writing my own because I can't find any more of their books, and I don't know when they're putting any more out. So after some, I really didn't kind of discover my love for writing until after I had written my ungodly 250,000 K word book. And that's when I really realized how much I love writing. <laughs> it was kind of like, that was like my aha moment. I knew I loved reading. I loved it. But the writing didn't come until after that. And then I looked at my, my 250,000 word book and I was like, this might not work very well for anybody (laughs) so I had to trim it down trim it down and then I discovered my love it's like it just kind of mounted after that my love for for writing 
so did that get published? Did that that original magnum opus? <laughs> did that get? Yes. Um, it did. What was? What's the title? Well, let me put it this way. I can't remember the name of it initially, but it did eventually get published. I took out like a good, good Lord, at least 150 words. I mean, somebody said, well, why don't you do it in three books? I said, but I can't. That's naive writer in me. No, I can't do that. That will destroy the whole thing. It's like this visionary. It's like this, oh, you can't destroy the Bible. You can't destroy my book. Well, yeah. Reality set in, and I realized I had to destroy it anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, that book, it eventually got published, but it got published under a different name. At the time, it was called Half-Breed. Right on. That's really, that's really cool. So, you're, wow, that's, so your first idea, that sounds like your, one of your first ideas got published. That's pretty dope. You don't hear that very often. No, you don't. That's why I, well, <laughs> let me put it this way. It took a while before it did get published, but yeah, it, it had a bumpy, lumpy road to publication. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you started out? I wish I'd known more about the business. And a lot of that has to kind of go back to that 250,000-word book. Because once I had kind of wrangled that book in and got it shaved down and everything, I actually started seeking out agents. And I did land one agent who was a New York City, you know, well-known agent. That didn't go so well. We said, okay, sign the agreement, everything. Okay, we're going to go ahead and work on this book. And then... Like six months later, didn't hear anything from her, so I emailed her, hey, um, are we going to submit, what are we going to do with my book? Are we editing, or do I need to edit? What do I need to do? She was like, oh, no, that's okay. I already submitted it to editors. What? Wait, hold up, what? <laughs> I'm like, wait, the little bit I knew about writing, I knew that there were supposed to be, like, some edits between the agent and the writer, and then they submitted or something. I don't know what she did with my book. And so... You know, a couple months later, I'm waiting, and I don't hear anything. And so I just kind of chalk that up as a loss. And so then I go, and I look for another agent. And I did get two more agents after that, but they were very young in the business themselves. They were eager to get writers on their roster, but I, I kind of got the feeling they didn't know a lot about what they were doing, or I don't know what was going on. Once again, it was like dead cold silence. After that, I got really frustrated and really angry, and I said, you know what? I need to research more about the business before I just jump into this thing. And maybe I need to figure out how this writer-agent relationship is supposed to work because I'm doing something wrong. And the more I read about it and the more I talked to people about it, the more I got the impression, I was like, no, Mercy, you really didn't do anything wrong. You kind of did the right thing. There are good agents out there and there are bad agents. Okay, wait a minute, bad agents? <laughs> I thought they all wanted to make it wrong. Well, apparently they do. And some of them will do whatever they can to make it die. So I guess, like I said, one of those things I wish I had learned early on in the business is the actual business of writing, how all that is supposed to work, what are the steps you have to go through, what are the expectations at these particular milestones and things like that. And I didn't learn that. I just kind of glossed over it. But once I got in-depth and I learned what I needed to learn, that's when I said, okay, I want this book off my chest so I can actually start on other stuff. And that's when I submitted it to a smaller publisher, and they loved it, and they published it. That helped me regain my confidence a lot at that time. 
if someone was in that position before, like a writer is just getting their feet wet into the business aspects, Mm -hmm. where would you suggest they look to do said research? There are lots of places. Writer Beware was one of the first places I've looked. It gives me a lot of information about what kind of things you should be aware of if you're going to go out and be a writer. Stay away from these type of companies. Go with these type of companies. I also looked at Piers Anthony a lot to figure out which companies were good, which ones were not. Predators and Editors was also a good one at the time. Which publishers are good, which agents were good for that matter. And the thing I would always tell a new author is even if you find one good positive about the agent, still keep doing your research because you never know. There may be more things about that particular agent that may not fit what you're trying to do or fit. There may be more things out there that could be hidden under the rubble that you just don't know about. So you never want to stop at this agent and say, yeah, can we get this one? Get at least two or three more places where you can corroborate. You can find the writers who have those particular agents or publish with those particular companies. It never hurts to kind of ping them and say, hey, how do you like working for so-and-so? Or in some cases, how did you like working for so-and-so? And why don't you ever that anymore if you can get that information out of them? That's what I would do. I would never go to one source, though, to look up the information. I would just try to go to multiple sources. Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Steak. I, ooh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's a place that's got steak on the menu and I don't know anything about the place I'm at, I am definitely going to order the steak. And since I like my steak well done, they don't have to fret over it. They don't have to worry about, oh, my God, there's, there's you know, it's, it's not pink enough. For, no, you don't have to worry about that. You can let it sit there, relax, breath, let that baby sizzle and get nice and brown. All through. You know what? You can even butterfly it if you want to. I give you permission. It's okay. I'm fine with that. But, you know, give <laughs> me a really good, delicious steak. Prime rib is my top, followed by T-bone, number two. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then probably... I'm stuck between ribeye and New York strip as a number three. Don't ask me if I can always afford those because I can't. That's a special occasion, you know. If given your druthers, is there a place that you would go to above anybody else? If I'm looking for a steak, where I live, I would go to Longhorn. I have yet to have a bad steak from them. I love uh, Longhorn. Oh, and they have the best spinach artichoke dip. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's like another little... Yeah, that will win me over real fast. But, yeah, I love going to Longhorn. Longhorn, yeah, I'm there. So what sides do you get? For sides, baked potato with just butter. I don't need all that drama. No, 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 no. I'm not a very complex eater at all. If you can get me some broccoli or asparagus with some butter on top, oh, I'm so there. Get me some asparagus with some hollandaise sauce. Oh, Lord, see, you're killing me. You're killing me. (laughs) Question number four. What are you curious about? Definitely outer space. I wanted to be an astronaut when I grew up. That didn't turn out so well, seeing as there weren't a lot of black astronauts back then. So I said, 
there, there goes my space dreams. But of course, being a writer and all, it's like I can write about space and future and everything. All I want to is B.J. Harrison. So that just kind of intrigued me more. Okay, like what is really out there? What could be out there? How do things work out there? You know, black holes, pulsars, asteroids, comets. Like what is all that stuff out there? That's where my curiosity is, is in space. Like are there aliens out there? If so, do they even care about us? Are we worth being cared about? Those are the things that always just have my mind just constantly going and constantly thinking. You know, have we been visited before? That's where my curiosity is, is pretty much anything out of space. I am such a space cadet. It's not even funny. And it's getting worse as I age. What's the most interesting thing you've learned about outer space since you started writing and doing research for it? Oh, my goodness. The most interesting is probably about black holes as well as white holes. That's the opposite of black holes. Black holes kind of suck in all the light, whereas white holes, they think those are areas in space where things are being created. And I was like, oh, snap, that's kind of cool. Can I add that to my book? That was just like the most amazing thing to me. And I don't think there's a lot of information out there on white holes as much as there are black holes and things like that. For me, that was like a whoa type moment. And then, of course, learning more about black holes, I didn't get a chance to read an article that came out, I think it was just like a couple days ago, where it sounds like two black holes had kind of merged together to create one gigantic, massive black hole. And I didn't get a chance to read that article, but that's something I want to definitely go back and research because I think that stuff is is so interesting, especially when you think about, like, the time dilation fields around them and everything. Are white holes a fairly new, newly discovered phenomenon? I think they are, and I think that's why there's not a lot of information out there about it. Of course, it's all theoretical as well. Like I said, there's not a lot of information out there, but the only information I could really find is that it sounds like that if there are black holes, it's possible that there could be white holes. And if you were to picture a white hole, instead of the center being black, it would be probably white and it would look like something is coming out of it as opposed to something come, you know, being sucked into it like with a black hole. And I cannot remember for the life of me who the scientist was that theorized about white holes. That was something that was really interesting to me because it gave me an idea of how I want to write another particular series that I'm working on. Can you mention that right now, or is it just in the beginning stages? Well, actually, it's on the third book. I just haven't figured out how to end the thing yet. It was so sad. I thought I had all this figured out, and I didn't. So I kind of put it aside for now. But this particular series, it basically all starts, of course, with just an innocent trip into the mountains to to go skiing, and my heroine is about to drop off her father's ashes. But this was like during a meteor storm, and it's not your typical meteor storm because what it does is it causes time-space displacement all across the French Alps. And so you could be walking one minute and step down a crevasse and come shooting out some other part of the Alps and not even know it, and this is all because of the meteorological phenomenon that's going on. It's like the meter shower that never quits, but it also traps like a whole bunch of people on the mountain. Just when these people think, okay, I finally figured out how to get off this mountain, there are after effects of this meteor shower. And then as people go back in history and learn more about various meteor showers that have happened across the planet, they're all connected. And it kind of turns out that there's 
somebody out there in space who had this explosion, some alien race had an explosion, and now parts of their space station, so to speak, are shooting out through this black hole, and they're aimed directly at our planet, and it's causing all of this havoc, all this chaos, and so there's really no way it can be stopped, so to speak. The only thing that people on Earth can do is realize that these so-called meteoroids are also parts of the technology that's coming through. And if they can figure out how to put together the technology, then perhaps they can actually stop all of this from happening. That's the hard part. It's trying to figure out how it all fits together. I have my little globe-trotting character or heroine who's going around the globe trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And she's in a unique position to do it because she's a data scientist. Data scientists, basically what they do is they do a lot of poking at data. They look at the data. They try to figure out trends, things like that. They're almost like information technology detectives. This kind of puts my heroine in the perfect position to figure out what in the world is going on and how do I put all of this stuff together to match it all up and make it make sense for the rest of the scientific community. That's kind of what this trilogy at the moment is about. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? More about my alter ego, Marcia Collette, because I write under two pen names. For the Slay Anthology, my story in it is called Message in a Vessel, and it's written under my VG Harrison, which is my sci-fi persona. But Marcia Collette is more so paranormal, urban fantasy, and most recently young adult. That's a story in itself. I started writing uh, young adults, and I wrote only one book. I gave it up. My child became of age where I was like, okay, this is the one book you might be able to read. I gave it to her. I let her read it, and then she came back to me and said, Mommy, you've got to write a second book. And I'm like, why? Because I like this one. Okay, baby, okay. So it took me about a year, but I finally wrote a second book, figured it out, wrote a second book. This is the first book that's coming out by Marcia Collette. It's coming out at the end of October. It's the first book I've written in years because I've been so focused on the B.G. Harrison, the B.G. Harrison pen name so much because I love sci-fi. I don't know what's going to happen with this book. It'll, it'll be interesting. I'm not ready to give up Marcia Collette just yet. How old is your daughter? She's 10 years old. Okay, so I have a couple more years before uh, I can... Uh throw that, uh, hand that to my daughter and be like, hey, read this one. Yeah. See what, see what you think. Oh, my God. That book I gave her, Bittersweet, was the name of the book. This is basically what happens when you have a teenager who's running the house along with their six, seven-year-old sister, and mom is living up in the attic because she's not only schizophrenic, but she's telekinetic. So they have to lock her away for a while because mom can get crazy. You have a 17-year-old running the house, and... Trust me, there's no parental guidance whatsoever. So I had to actually put some parental guidance on the book before I let my child read it. But it is YA. I will say that. It is YA. Question number six. And this is fun. I'm loving this. Yay. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? With everything that's going on in the world nowadays, if I had a new holiday, it would, to, it would be to commemorate the future of the human race. Just because everybody is so focused on the here and now, or they're maybe focused on a few years from now, 
And it's like, sometimes, guys, we need to focus, like, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. Like, where do we want to see ourselves? Where do we want to see our children? What kind of world do we even want to leave behind for them? I mean, there is such a huge difference between what was going on back in the 30s versus what was going on today, even though some people would say, no, there's no difference. Yeah, there kind of is. You know, I was I was on the phone with my grandmother the other day talking about stuff that she had done when she was a little kid and stuff like that. And every time I talk to my grandmother, the first thing that comes up, you know, is things like the Jim Crow laws. I think about what in the world must have been. I mean, she can tell me what it's like, but I can't imagine what it was really and truly like to experience living in that time. And my biggest concern and my biggest fear is that history repeats itself. I don't want to go back there. I don't want my daughter to have to go there. I don't, you know, my grandmother's been through that. I don't want my daughter to have to live through that either for whatever reason. Maybe it won't be a racial reason 50 years from now. Maybe it'll be a class reason, you know, rich versus poor, something like that. And so I would just like a day for people to just stop what you're doing. Think for a moment about the world you want to leave behind for your kids. What kind of world do you want to leave in the future? Do you want them to go up into space or do you want them to stay down here and just do nothing? Those are the things that bother me most, I guess, these days. And I don't think people think enough or at least think that far ahead in the future. I have a name for it. Legacy Day. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Awesome. I like that. Yes. Yes. That would be perfect because that explains it. That explains everything. Legacy Day. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? For your children, your children's children. I don't expect my daughter to keep driving around my, my 2009 Versa. <laughs> but the rate we're going, that's what I feel like it's going to end up happening. Because that's how it seems like we're stuck in time today. And it's like, no, I want her on the hover car. That's where I see my child. We are in total agreement. Give me the elevator pitch for Message in a Vessel. Okay, so... Of course, Message in the Vessel is on the play anthology, which is about vampire noir. So I wanted to write something that happened in the future. Or not necessarily in the future, but in space, so to speak. Vampires in space, okay, awesome, but I don't want to do vampires and aliens. So I came up with a Message in a Vessel, and it's basically about vampires have taken over the world. The food supply is running very, very low. There's nothing hardly left. So the only place to go to look for more food is to go beyond our planet. And so this is the story about we're going to go ahead and send up this shuttle that's kind of like a message in a bottle, but it's a message in a vessel. We're going to send out this spaceship into the, into the stars, and we're going to have a message that invites other races, but it's only going to invite the races that are similar or share the most DNA with humankind or vampire kind. Send a message, invite them back. Or maybe we'll go and visit them instead. The whole point of going to visit them or to invite them here is for food purposes. The plan is to go out and basically conquer the universe if they can. That may be all fine and dandy, but this is what happens when you have one scientist who's pretty much pivotal to the whole project starts to have second thoughts about this mission and what it means, what it means for what's left of human race. So that's kind of what Message in a Vessel is about. Where can my listeners find you? How can they get in touch with you, interact with you, do the uh, whole internet dance? Okay. So for VG Harrison, you can reach me at www.vgharrison.com. 
And that's all of my sci-fi stuff. There's also a blog on my website. For the Marcia Collette, it's www.marciacoll. Oh, my God, I did that wrong. <laughs> www.marciacoll.com. And I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Facebook under that pen name. I am on Instagram, but go, oh God, please. Oh, God, no. I let my 10-year-old set up my Instagram account, and she wanted to give me friends. Now, she's 10. She gave me friends, her friends, that are, like, between 10 and 13. Those kids can't read my book. So don't look me up on Instagram until I can figure that one out. Thank you, dear listener, for spending a little of your day with us. And thank you for the reviews because they are a huge help. And if you haven't done that yet, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download this episode. Leave a review for us. It helps the show get seen by more eyes, and we can have more people join the conversation. So until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, 